The buildup to the World Cup is, is something we started really with the 99s. It's just amazing what the women have done. She is, like you mentioned, a player who can do so much by herself. And not only does that affect her play, but that will affect how Sophia Smith plays and Alex Morgan and Lindsay Horan behind her. Do I play some of these injured players? and see, you know, can I get them some minutes? It's not gonna be a game where I can, I can keep them out of dangerous situations, but I can get them some fitness, I can get them some game kind of movements. Or do I say, you know what, I'm not even gonna play these players. Here's another day of rest. When I saw it, I was like, did they get in a paintball fight? Like, what is going on? Welcome back into Straight From The Pitch, joined as always by Scotty Schweitzer. I'm Anna Witte. The big news on the street in MLS this week is Messi is finally here. However, that's the extent of the excitement until we actually see him on the pitch. So what's actually really excited this week, and we'll save Messi for a later date, is the World Cup is finally here. It kicks off tomorrow, actually. There are three games that kick off tomorrow. The first match will be between New Zealand versus Norway at 3 a.m., then Australia and Ireland will play at 6 a.m. Eastern time. And then lastly, Nigeria and Canada at 10.30 Eastern time. More manageable hour to get up in the morning to watch some soccer. But before we dive into the U.S. side of things, Scotty, what are you most excited about on and off the pitch about this World Cup? Um, I mean, good God, everything. I, I love the World Cup. I think it's a... Uh... It brings nations together. It brings a, a nation by itself together. Whereas if we're in England, we're EPL fans or we're the W League fans, or if we're here in America, you have your NWSL. So, so you're against other Americans. You're against other country people. But when it's the World Cup, all the country, all the people come together and focus on their team. And, and I think it's, we saw it with the men. It's just so exciting. It, it's just the, 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 the play is ramped up. The excitement's ramped up. The, the quality is ramped up. And I think we have to look into that, too. The quality of these teams are so good. And it's good to be an American because we're number one. But it's also good to be an American because I feel we started this whole thing. We, we started the whole, I mean, the Nike commercials, the everything that we're seeing, the buildup to the World Cup is, is something we started really with the 99s. It's just amazing what the women have done to build the sport, to 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 make things equal. I, I don't think we can lose any of that just watching the World Cup and watching soccer games. I mean, what they've done, what women have done for the sporting world is, and, it, and I feel like a lot of it is in soccer. It's because they fought so hard for what they wanted. And now we have it. And we have the Sam Kerrs, we have the Lavelles, we have like every team's got a superstar. The Brazil is filled of superstars. Norway's going to be amazing. And it's still an amazing World Cup, and there's tons of injuries, and we're missing superstars. And it's still like, yes, we're sad that we're missing them, but I'm excited for all the young players that are going to get an opportunity that we might not have been able to see, and they're going to put their stamp on it, and, and we're going to see – the, the growth and the progression of where it's going to go. And that's what I'm excited for the World Cup the most of, is just to see, for people to see a great brand of football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, but also that it's women doing it. And, and I mean, as we watch this whole thing, it's just amazing. Like the commercials, the if you haven't seen the French commercial, you need to see it. You need to see the French commercial because it's, it's amazing and it puts it all into perspective. 
I completely agree with you about the fact that this is such an exciting World Cup in the stint too, that this is the first time that there's 32 countries in the World Cup. So more teams are going to be involved. That's inviting Vietnam and Portugal to be a part of everything. And you just mentioned how the U.S. is the team that has started everything. They are the team who has always wanted the competition. They want to bring the excitement. Now, I'm not sure I have the U.S. winning by a million. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I have the U.S winning potentially, but that's what's exciting about the growth of soccer. And even the U.S. has to look at it as an opportunity for this game to continue to grow. My favorite thing about the World Cup coming up is just the impact on the global game and how is it going to continually grow the NWSL, the WSL, the leagues in Vietnam, the leagues in Portugal, and just the women's game in general, and how we'll be able to look back on the 2023 World Cup in 2027 and see how it has impacted the growth of the game. You mentioned Brazil having so much talent. Uh, Spain has been slaughtered with some injuries and some off the field stuff, yet they're still in the ranks to potentially win the whole thing. So there are so many fun storylines to see. And also the fact that it's in Australia and New Zealand. I'm a massive coffee fan, and I'm just hoping for good coffee content. When I used to live in Washington, D.C., there was this coffee shop called Bluestone Lane, and it's Australian-based, and I'm obsessed with it. I love the vibes. It's like a blue, teal, green surfer vibe. So I'm just hoping that the people who are over there, down under, covering the game is going to give us more coffee content because that's what I want to see on top of a bunch of good soccer. Well, we got to remember, too, it's winter True. So it's it's not like we're going to turn this TV on and think it's going to be beautiful weather. There's there could be some really bad rain. There it could be really cold. It's going to affect the game. So like that that's the beauty of the World Cup. We're all in the same place, kind of fighting the same battles with travel, and you got to go to different sites and different stadiums, and, and it's just it's just a massive event. And it's just I hope in America we don't miss the opportunity to cover this as the ESPNs and all the, all the sports topics. I, I think we're, you know, like when you watch, like I, I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm, I'm a male, I'm a, I'm a soccer player, but I have a daughter. And like this weekend I, I watched, I'm always watching sports and I love all sports and I've gotten much more into women's sports, not just since I've had a, a daughter, but since I've been coaching and like, we miss so many opportunities, like good God, Sabrina Inescu, hit 25 out of 27 three-pointers, and it was only on in the morning on ESPN if you got lucky and you saw it. But Steph Curry hit a hole-in-one in golf, and I understand that's super hard, but that's not even his sport. And it, they're still showing me the highlights. Like, why, why am I not getting as much content on the women's e events that I do on the male events? And I understand, like we always say, it's a business. and who. But please, listen, John Morant's, could go to jail because he's a knucklehead. The kid that came out of Alabama, Brandon Miller, he brings a gun to his friend who then shoots somebody. Like, I, I don't hear these stories on the women's side of sports. Like, they handle their business. They fight for injustices. They do all the right things, and we still don't cover it enough. So my one thing is, man, I sure do hope there's not enough content for for the novice fan who doesn't know where to look like me and you and all the soccer people. We're going to we're going to search it out. We're going to find it. We're going to find our information. But this information needs to be out in our faces, out front for all the people to say, holy cow, this is something special. Like pick up a soccer ball if you've never played and try to juggle it. And somebody videotape you, you'll look like a complete idiot doing it. But you can shoot a basketball and you can throw a baseball and you can throw a football a lot easier. The, the things that these players are doing on the field, 
and then what they do off the field, I think they have to be recognized way more for it. I agree. And I think we are seeing that push for there to be more visibility. Like we were talking about yesterday, the Nike commercial, you mentioned the French commercial and the amount of money that random brands are putting into getting eyeballs on the tournament. And for anyone listening to the show and doesn't know where to look for certain content, if they want to know more about the Lionesses and Brazil, follow us on social media. Feel free to respond to us. I know you can't give everything away in the podcast and talk about absolutely everything, but we know where to look and we'd always be happy to share that information with you. And I, you can watch all of the games on Fox Sports. They'll be shown over and over again. Up until the middle of the group stage, there's about three to two games on every single day. So not this overwhelming amount of soccer that makes it difficult to consume, but the perfect amount that gets you enough games to understand the style of each team there's going to be you know a good production by fox to get us continuing watching and especially from us here at straight from the pitch we'll certainly be following what's happening but definitely with the u.s women's national team the u.s will play against vietnam on friday in their first match they'll their match group rather their group stage involves portugal they have the netherlands and they have vietnam vietnam's in their first world cup they have a good team who's done well in South Asia games. However, it's not going to be this competition that the U.S. has to prepare ins and outs defensively for. They're going to be looking for the execution in the transition game. How can the U.S. use the Vietnam and Portugal game to set them up for the Netherlands and even for round of 16 if and when they make it there? Yeah, I think we, we kind of got lucky with our group where Vietnam, I think, is going to be an easy game. Um, yeah. And I think being that it's our first game, it gives us the opportunity. And this is where you as a coach get the chance to, do I play some of these injured players and see, you know, can I get them some minutes? It's not going to be a game where I can, I can keep them out of dangerous situations, but I can get them some fitness. I can get them some game kind of movements and know that, hey, if the game gets a little weird and a little crazy, I can always sub them out. It's okay, it's not a big deal. Or do I say, you know what, I'm not even gonna play these players. Here's another day of rest, another three, four days of rest to get them even more capable of playing a 60 minutes, a full 90. And then we go against Portugal who has talented players sporadically around the field. Like like we, they have some good players, but they're not a great, team they're not there yet but they do have like jessica uh silva i mean she's a phenomenal player we got to see her play last year in the nwsl she yep. played for kansas city for a little bit she's a really good talented player whereas like they're going to try to get her on the ball it's going to give fox and dunn whichever side she's on an opportunity to play against a high quality player but know that i'm going to be able to help and support i'm going to have this behind me i'm going to have a, a team tactical set up that we're going to be able to beat Portugal. And then we get the Netherlands. And to me, I know the Netherlands is a team that's been together for a while. So are they getting older? They kind of at times seem to be like some of how we were the last World Cup, but we did quite well in that World Cup. Um, but they're a team that if we look around, they have a lot of their players. A lot of these other teams, England's had some star players injured and have to come out. Sweden just had another one yesterday in training. They have both their outside backs are out. Um, the French team is riddled with in injury. Spain is riddled with injury and what they're going on with their, their, their problems domestically with their 
their federation. So like, here's a team, Holland, the Netherlands that right now, no one's talking about. They're just making their way. They're doing their thing. And they have some super talented players that are probably getting their last run out of world cup. So they have, they have that, that energy that they want to do well in their last world cup. So I, I think then we go into the Netherlands game and here's what we'll probably be seeing later on in the group stages. And the next group that we play is the way it looks. And it's a kind of a weird group, but we have Sweden, Italy, um, Argentina. Why can't I think of the last Sweden, team? Sweden, Italy, Argentina, and South Africa. Is it the in South Africa? So like, Virginia. that's a group in my eyes, I'm thinking that Italy is going to escape and Sweden is going to get out of that group. That's just me looking at it. I mean, uh, the Italians did pretty darn good in the last World Cup, which then got them Syria for their own. The, the Women's League then started. Yep. Uh, they didn't do great in the Euros, but then they did pretty darn good in qualifying for this World Cup. Um, the Italians play a very strategic. They play very similar to the men. They're not worried about impressing us with their skill. Not that they don't have it, but they set up defensively first. Um, so I think that these are these are good matchups in our first in our group stages to prepare us for what we have to do later on. It's just three different types of teams, three different styles that we'll have to, you know, look at tactically. We just can't go out there and do whatever we want. I think we have to look at it tactically because later in the World Cup, when we're fatigued, when there's injuries, and that's not just us, that's everybody. You have to become much more tactically sound in order to get through to the next stages when it comes to to the knockout stages. And even though this is Vietnam and Portugal's first World Cup, you have to go in prepared like they are the team that everyone wants to beat. Because this is the World Cup. It only comes around every four years. You have one shot at it with this specific team. You mentioned going into the Vietnam game and wanting to get minutes for some of the injured players or letting them rest. I believe that Andonovsky should give them the minutes. After the send-off game, he said that Megan Rapinoe, Julie Ertz, and Rose Lavelle are healthy yet progressing to full play. And the biggest question mark is, great, these players are healthy. Rapinoe's played in nine games this season. Rose Lavelle's only had two NWSL games. Ertz with only seven. They're not up to the fitness level game-like yet that they would like to be come the Netherlands or potentially Italy or Sweden in the round of 16. So getting players like Lavelle or Rapino minutes off the bench, not starting them, getting them more acclimated to the team and understanding, you know, the style, getting acclimated to the weather in Australia, New Zealand, which is completely different from here in the States, is a smart decision because you don't want to throw players like that in and expect them to perform when you must and have have to have them to perform. So I think these Vietnam, Portugal, Netherlands games will be important for getting prepared for the next game. But I, do, I definitely think we'll see the starting 11s at certain points that Andonovsky wants to play in further along the tournament. I like the 4-3-3 system that they're playing in. They have good players in certain roles. We've mentioned Crystal Dunn, Emily Fox being big pieces in the outside back roles. I don't think he should have Kelly O'Hara or Sofia Huerta sub in really at any point unless they need them to because Fox and Dunn need those minutes, those reps, and they're the ones who are going to take us to the end if that's what the U.S. is going to do. Yeah, I think a lot of times if you haven't played sports, if you haven't played soccer, when you're coming back from an injury, as a player in your mind, you're worried about that specific injury that you're that you're recovering from. Right. But what I've learned from trainers, from playing is – 
it's usually another injury that happens because of that, because you've been off, you had a time off. Lavelle's had tons of time off. Mm -hmm. um, Ertz, Ertz is in a little bit different of a situation because she's played a little bit more recently. Um, Rapino's closer to, I think, Lavelle than Ertz in a sense. And it's a, a calf injury is a weird injury. It's just a super weird injury. But what happens is when you come back, your other muscle groups haven't been working either. They just haven't been in the same. So you come back and you maybe you're trying not to hurt the prior injury and you're, you're doing things to make sure that that's stabilized. And what happens is you tear a hamstring, you hurt something else because that muscle hasn't been being used either. And that's why you need minutes and you can kind of do things in training, but training as a player, you know, is in a sense, not real. Right. So you can come out of tackles. You can only sprint 80%. Well, when you're in a game and you got to do something, you got to do it and you got to do it a hundred percent and you got to go for it. And a lot of times if it's a defensive movement, it's a movement that's being controlled by another person. Like you're just going because they went, it's a reactionary mo movement. So that's where the serious injuries have the biggest problem is when we come back from these injuries, it's not necessarily that injury that gets re-injured. It's a brand new injury because we haven't been using any of these muscles. And that's why this group stage, I think we got kind of lucky with, listen, even if we lost to the Netherlands, you figure we're coming out second. And, you know, the top two teams go through. Now, we don't want to come out second. You want to always be on a high, but that's just the way it kind of works sometimes. The most important thing is that we get through. We're going to be upset about it as Americans that we're not number one in the group, but Getting through is getting through. At the end of the day, you get come out of your group second, and then you win the World Cup. Nobody's going to remember what you came out of your group. All they're going to know is you're a World Cup champion. So I think we have to use these games very strategically to overcome these injuries. And that's where, you know, your medical staff and everybody has to be all on the same page. Everybody has to know. Everybody has to – everybody, and I mean players that aren't injured. They have to know, do I cover? Do I do this? Can I talk to her? Say, hey, next tackle, don't get into it. You can tell me, listen, I, I don't have anything left in the tank. I can't keep going forward. Someone's going to have to spell me on this run. Or I got to go out. I got to get. I got to ask for my sub. That's it. I got my 30, 35, 40 minutes in, and I, I got some. Now we'll, we'll go tomorrow into training, and we'll get some more recovery. So by the end of the tournament, if we can get everybody at 100%, then you have a better chance of winning the whole thing. And, and as, a, as an, a former athlete, if you haven't been through injuries, that's the biggest thing because – when we're back, we're super excited to be back. And we think, okay, I'm back. I'm great. Let's go for it. And it doesn't work like that. It, it takes time to get your touch back. It takes time to get your fitness back. It takes time to get the speed of play back. Everything, everything. But we get out there and we want everything to be just like the last time we remembered it. And it just doesn't work like that. And, and that's, that's where we're going to have to watch these injuries because it's not just this player or that player. It's key components to our team that we need to win the whole thing. And you mentioned the fact that Rapino and Lavelle and Ertz are key components to this World Cup team. Julie Ertz comes to the World Cup being a little bit different from Lavelle and from Rapino because she's a little bit more versatile. We can put her in the six, but we can also put her on the back line. Without Becky Sauerbrunn in this World Cup due to injury, there's Alana Cook and Naomi Gurma who started in the send-off game. If you're starting Ertz, would you put her in the six role right away or would you want to get her some reps next to Gurma in the back line? I would start off, like if I'm starting her the first game, coach right. Vietnam, like I have to think we're going to win this game. And like, 
10 nothing. And for me as a fan of soccer and what I've seen about Vietnam, Vietnam is where they are a lot because of what U.S. soccer women have done. 100%. They have a league, they have a team, they, they, they're, they're putting money into their team. So I hopefully we don't embarrass them. I, when I was growing up, I always felt like the Brazilian teams wanted more countries to be better. So if they played the U.S., they always beat us like one nothing. Granted, we never touched the ball. It, it could have been way worse, but if they beat us 100 to nothing, 12 nothing, 15 nothing, does that mean, oh, soccer's not our thing and the whole thing goes away? And, and it always seems like they were doing the right things by the game, like they were treating it with respect. So hopefully we do that because I don't think we need an 11 nothing win. We need to work on some other things, not just scoring against a team like Vietnam. I would play Ertz at the six to start in this Vietnam game. If I'm going to start her, I'm going to start her at the six. Now I am going to push Fox and uh, done. done high. And then I'm going to ask Germa and cook to spread. And I'm going to let Ertz be allowed to drop also into the back. So we have basically a three center back. Now, if, if you haven't seen it, good God, I would think it was the early 90s, mid 90s, almost to early 2000s, maybe, maybe early 2000s, late 90s, mid 90s. Barcelona did it. They had Puyo and they had PK and they had Mascherano and they had Xavier and they had Busquets. But what they would do is they would push their outside back super high and then their center backs would split wide and their six would drop back in and play like a center back. That was when they lost the ball. Now they can they can still stay high pressed up the field, but it gives that relationship a little bit more proximity and they can talk about things. And then we can see as a coaching staff or or as players, you know what? Ertz is better at center back. Now we just got to pick which one she has a little bit better connection with, Germa or Cook. Maybe it's Germa, Cook sits on the bench. Uh, maybe it's Cook, Germa sits on the bench. Which, But I think those two can play that center back. If I'm going to play Ertz, that's what I'm going to specifically look to be doing in that Vietnam game. When we are attacking, we're going to press high. Our outside backs will get high, and we're going to let Ertz kind of drop back into that center back role centrally with Germa and Cook on our outside, still center backs. Allows us to stay pressed high up the field. Allows our, our midfielders to get a little bit more higher. Uh, and we have enough talent and speed in the midfield that, it's not going to hurt us not having our six higher up because I think our whole back line can press higher up. But that, that's just me personally. I would think that could work for us. I believe that can work. Ertz likes to go high. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And Ertz, with the injuries that everyone has been talking about that Andonoski has touched on, they don't maybe want her to be like flying up and down the field from the jump. Yet the what you just mentioned with uh, Ertz dropping back and then allowing Fox and Dunn to go high is something I could see them playing all the time and allowing them right, to get right. they don't need necessarily four in the back consistently because when they're playing against these teams like Vietnam and Portugal, the attack is way more important. And quite honestly, even though it's where the U.S. has the most strength in the forward position, it's where they struggle to score and to find really good chances on goal. I agree. I like Ertz in the six and playing in, a, you know, that hybrid center back role, but that exposes so much space centrally. And if Ananovsky wants to get Lavelle in the starting 11, they can't have Ertz and Julie, rather Ertz and Lavelle in there together because, I mean, from the jump, you can't have Lavelle doing a lot of work centrally. I know she plays in the 10 role. That would expose Haran. 
I guess you wouldn't want Lavelle and Ertz to start together and, and get minutes at the same time. I don't know. What do you uh, think? Yeah, it, it's it's a tough call. Like when I, Rose Lavelle is, is my favorite player. It may be my favorite player on the women's side. It's she is a player to me that loves to win the game. And it doesn't matter how she does it. She she is a mentality-wise, she's an attacker. We see it with her ability and her speed and her athleticism, but you'll see her tackle too. You see her get back. You see her defend. Like she But that's her fully healthy though, don't you think? Understandable. Understandable. Right. And yeah. like like going into it, that's what I'm saying, like in this Vietnam game and in, in in pretty much any game. And that's the hard thing with being on a national team is these are all the stars of their club teams. So now you go in here and I'm going to have to tell Ertz, listen, this is the role you're going to play. And if you don't play it, it's going to hurt us. If you go and play your normal role, it's not going to be good for us. We don't have these things around you. We have other, we have Iran who likes to play on the ball, likes to hold the ball a little longer. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. It usually helps set up plays. It usually drags defenses out of their shape. Uh, you have, Lavelle, who likes to run at teams, and she has the right, which a lot of coaches do not tell their, especially young players, you have the right to lose it. We don't want you to lose it, but you have that right. And when a player knows I have the right to make mistakes, it gives me a more of a freedom to try things and to be creative and to go for it and use my imagination. So that that's when we get into this Vietnam game, we have to be saying, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And we're all going to be on the same page. We, we have to be. And if we're not, it's going to have a, a spiral effect. It's going to have a trickle-down effect where it's the next game and then the next game and then the next game. And, and like, okay, Rapino, you know how I feel about <laughs> announcing retirements. But she did it. Now it's done. Now it's out of the bag. So now, listen, I don't know if you're going to get on the field, Rapino, but you're, you're giving all these interviews that this is going to help us focus more and this is going to have us have more drive. And and I've listened to some interviews and, and they're getting emotional about Rapino. So maybe it is, but maybe that means you don't really get off the bench, Rapino. Your job is the locker room. That is that is why we brought you, to maintain the locker room, to make sure everybody knows what their job is. That means the veteran players, we've mentioned them. If that means O'Hara, you're not playing that much. It, it can't always be me, the coach you know, putting the fires out. Sometimes we need players in the locker room that puts fires out, that calms everything down, that settles it down, that makes us think, don't be selfish. It's about us winning this whole thing. You're still a huge part of this legacy. You know, three World Cups in a row would be just, an. it would be amazing. It'd be something, you know, just ridiculous. So like, we all have to be on the same page and we have to be ready to do whatever is necessary to do that. If that means Alex Morgan sits the bench, if that means, after the last game, I mean, like, I'm thinking the, the starting lineup is going to be Alex Morgan, Sophia Smith on the left, and Rodman on the right. That that That's just what it looks like it needs to be. They, they're the most effective three up top right now. I don't personally think that's the best forward lineup, but right now that's what it looks like. So, Sophia Smith, you're not going to be the nine like you are in Portland. And you're not going to be on the right. You're going to be on the left because Rodman's much better on – but then it gives us – you got to have a connection with Dunn because she's in Portland. So maybe that matchup works out great. But, like, we're all going to have to do things that might not necessarily be the best thing for me personally, but it's the best thing for the team. And, and again, like I said, that's the hard thing about a, a World Cup national team is we're not always together. We're not in day in and day out and working on things. It's like we only have these quick little 
amounts of a week here, a week there, you know, and we go and then we go and try to win a World Cup, which now the talent is we we asked for it, America. We wanted better talent. We asked for it as fans. Well, now we have it. Now there are a lot of really spectacular teams and we're going to have to each game have a little bit different of a philosophy against each team in order to win. We just can't go out there and go, this is how we do it. Let's go do this. Let's do this because it's been proven against Ireland. And it was proven in our last game that these teams know how to play us. They, they know how to sit on us. They know how to just sit back. You know, Wales did it. Wales is not a great team, but they, they, they gave us problems because they just sit. So we're going to have to find those. I think that's why I think DeMello is going to be a huge part of our game. Listen, I, I, I'm not saying Sanchez is not a great player, and I'm a great player. But Sanchez is a great player when there's space in behind so she can play balls. She, she's a facilitator. She doesn't do things on her own. So now teams are going to drop. Maybe Holland, and I would think even Holland drops on us. Uh, teams are going to sit and take away space. So now our big speed and, and size is not going to be as effective because there's just going to be too many people around it. So we're going to need these different different avenues, different styles of play to beat different teams, different styles against us. FIFA kind of gave the U.S. a gift, giving them Vietnam the first game to figure things out. It takes a while for teams. That's why they have preseason with the club team to figure out what works well together. And so many coaches will tell you before the season even starts, it'll take eight to 10 games to really figure out how certain partnerships work and how the style of soccer will work within the talent that they have on a team. So World Cup is an issue that that's an issue that every single team will have at the World Cup. It's not just the U.S.'s issue. And we mentioned Megan Rapino potentially being a locker room player, and that's okay within the position that Rapino plays because you sub in Trinity Rodman. Everyone can see what Rodman does. Four goals to assess with the NWSL this season, a brace in the send-off game against Wales to get them the win. She has been on fire the past few months, and hopefully that's something that can continue here with the World Cup. A player that you touched on briefly, Scotty, but a player that I know we're both really excited about is Savannah DeMello, getting her first cap in the send-off game, playing that role that Roosevelt normally plays in if she was fully healthy. Uh, one of the reasons why Andonofsky brought is because there's still some question marks around Lavelle. Savannah DeMello at the club level does not have the talent around her to play that Ashley Sanchez has at the club level. How do you think in a World Cup situation where she's playing with Sophia Smith, Trinity Rodman, Alex Morgan, Lindsay Horan, will that hurt uh, Savannah DeMello? Or do you think she's going to be guns blazing with more talent around her? just given the fact that she plays with so much freedom. I, uh, I hope, and you would think it would give her more freedom because right. now the other team cannot just focus, Hey, let's put four players around her. And, and when you watch Louisville, that kind of looks like what some teams try to do. They just, they try to, you know, put a lot of players around her space, uh, clog it up, give her problems. It's not just one-on-one -on -one kind of situations where, that's where when you look at the U.S., it's like pick your poison. Who, who are you going to stop? Who, who are you going to look like when, when you're drawing up your game plan against the U.S.? Like, oh, Rodman's not starting. Lynn Williams is like, oh, you know, like here, here we go. Like, <laughs> OK, OK, Lynn Williams isn't starting. And if Rapino's right. on her game, like you're like, God, she slows the game down. Then she speeds it up. She whips balls in. Then she takes players inside like. Haran, like, okay, Haran's not playing. Lavelle is like, that's the problem with the U.S. is like when you're game planning, it's not like, 
if we can stop this one player, let's do this. And then we now we can play like this. Like when you look at the U.S., it's just like every position. Like let's stop their forwards. Oh, great! We're gonna have Crystal Dunn and Emily Fox come running down the sidelines on us. Like they're, they're dangerous in the back. They can attack out of the back. So like that. That's the problem with the U.S. My one concern is because she doesn't have these players, she is the leader in Louisville. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have to defer to anybody. They play through her. They play to her to the point like they just give her the ball all the time. Like sometimes it's just dangerous, but who cares? DeMello will get out of it. And that's a great thing as a player. Like I don't care that I have three players on. Chip it in here. I'll try to work. Like when my teammates around me have that much confidence in me, it gives me that much more confidence myself. Well, on the U.S., everybody has that confidence. Everybody thinks they can do that. So my only concern is, if she gets in there being her first time, you know, being on the full team, you know, one cap under your belt, it was a send-off game, does she defer? And if she defers, then then we're going to have a huge problem because that's not what makes her great. It's not her one touch, you know, just simplifying the game, keeping it moving as a f- facilitator. She gets the ball and she runs at players and causes defenses to shift and to move and to get disorganized based off of her movement on the ball not just her movement off the ball. So my, my concern is when she gets there, not that there's going to be more players, but that she's going to think, oh, no, I don't want to mess up because, you know, Lavelle wouldn't mess up. Rodman's right. not going to mess up. This player's not. Alex Morgan's not going to. like. So she has to stay in that. I think we talked about it last episode. She has to be an alpha. She has to be a dog. She's got to go out there and say, I can win this game for this team. I can do it. And that's how they, that's how we are. That's that's the American style on on the women's side. We're just we all get after it. We all know that I don't know who's going to score, but we're going to score. And that's a beautiful thing about the women's national team is they fight for each other and they have superstars all fighting for each other. They remind me of the original dream team basketball team. Like none of those guys went out there and thought they weren't the best player on the team even though it was Michael Jordan, you know, they still had bird. They had Barkley. Like they had all these superstars, but they just, they knew they were going to win. They played their own game. They played the game together. And that's what the women's kind of remind me. They are, they are the, the modern version of the dream team. And and it's not just one time, like this is now our third world cup. This is 12 years of being the dream team. And, and it's a, as an American fan, as a fan of soccer, it's awesome to watch. I'm sure there'll be a lot of countries cheering against us. And, and that's what you have to do when you when you're the best, everybody's against you. Uh, that's just the way it is. And the U.S. is so used to having that mentality of knowing that all these countries are not cheering for them. And I think that's something that sparks a fire in a lot of these players is they love that opportunity to be the team that everyone is looking to be. And going off the DeMello, she is, like you mentioned, a player who can do so much by herself. And not only does that affect her play, but that will affect how Sophia Smith plays and Alex Morgan and Lindsay Horan behind her. So not only when DeMello is in are we going to be looking for what DeMello is going to be doing in the games and how she's going to be moving on and off the ball but also these teammates who are trying to get so used to her Alex Morgan has never played with Savannah DeMello and Lindsay Horan has never played with DeMello so watching some of the connections and the partnerships try and grow and that's if 
if Blacko Andonoski decides to go with Savannah DeMello at any point. But I think if he did, he would have a really good option in the midfield, even though she's only had one cap. And at this point, it doesn't matter. She's already 24 years old. It's not like they're putting an 18-year-old in the midfield asking so much. She's had plenty of college experience, plenty of experience last year in her rookie season and 13 games this year with Racing Louisville. I think you you set her up for so much success if you just continue to feed her that confidence, like you mentioned last week. Yeah, and I, I think the Vietnam game is a great game for her to get in. And, like, if you do have jitters, good God, in five minutes, they should be gone. I mean, let, let's. Well, I'm very happy that Vietnam's there. I'm very happy that they have a team. I'm, I'm glad the way it's it's going, the trajectory for the, for the country and the, and the women in Vietnam is great. But, like, we should have zero problem with this team. And, and that is the absolute truth. You, you mentioned uh, Andalowski and, and uh, Blacko. My thing is I, I'm a U.S. fan, and I'm cheering for the U.S., and I'm cheering for good soccer. And by the end of the World Cup, I and that's men and women, I usually am cheering for the team that's played the best brand of soccer, whether that's America, whether that's Argentina, Croatia, whoever. That's usually how it goes when I watch tournaments like this. I cheer for the team that I feel deserves it the most. And I'm hoping that's us, but I will also be cheering for the U S because in the United States, if you don't have a big, huge resume, a lot of fans don't think highly of you. Well, go and check out Vlatko's resume. Here's a guy who comes over from his country to play indoor soccer in the United States. He then has to coach club soccer. He coaches professional indoor soccer, which a lot of people don't give any credit to. Thank God for the 77 because we just realized how many good indoor soccer players there are. And then he gets the Seattle job, the OL Reign job. And then he gets from there, he becomes the national. Like here's a guy who's gone this crazy journey, this crazy path. And it's all different, but like he's the national team coach. He's done it. Like there's a lot of players out there that they, we follow our own journey. I'm a player who never played in the MLS. Not because I couldn't, not because I wasn't offered. It wasn't my journey. And, and that's what I think is cool about the game. It doesn't matter your journey. It's just a matters your work rate, your desire, your passion. So like this here's a coach like he doesn't have this massive resume. Like I coached in the EPL. I coached here. I played here. Like, you know, Wayne Rooney's the coach of D.C. Why? <laughs> Why? because he played for Manchester United. Like he hasn't done good as a manager forever, but he'll get another job because his name is Wayne Rooney and he played in the EPL and he played for Everton and he scored when he was 18. Like, listen, I understand. He loves the game. Steven Gerrard. I'm a, and listen, I'm a huge Steven Gerrard fan, but he'll keep getting manager jobs no matter how good he does, no matter how bad he does because his resume as a player. So like, I think a lot of times in the U S we have to give credit where credit is due is like, you have a listen. It's not just soccer. It's in anything. Like it's sometimes it's just more of who you know than what you know. And I don't think that's fair. You you have to in a business like take the most qualified person as far as what they bring to the table, not who they know or what they've done in the past. Like what what are they in the sense like th this guy? He's gotten this crazy journey. Whereas a couple years ago, you know, they're like, oh, he coached in the indoor. Well, he can't be the women's coach. Well, that's not the case anymore. You know, he has a great relationship. You watch stories on him. He, he's all about family, not just his family, but he makes the team a family. And when you listen to the to the women talk for the U.S. national team, that's exactly what it sounds like. You know, they're calling Rapino the old grandma. And then they have 
Thompson, the young kid on the, the way up. And like you're talking about young kid, like there's a whole bunch of them young kids out there. Sophia Smith, super young. Like they're they're all got these different di- dynamics and it's it's just wonderful. And I think like for me, I'll be cheering for him because he's had a kind of similar path to me. Is like you go where you think is best for you to learn and become a better version of yourself. And, th- and that's, I think it's pretty cool, his path of where he's gone. He, he didn't just, you know, take the easy route and he's, he's done it his way and, and look where he is. And he has a chance of solidifying the U.S. as probably the greatest team of all time in the sport as a country. And that, that's men and women. Vlako Andonovsky not in his first or second year. He's been with this U.S. team since 2019 when they won the World Cup back then. So this is his fourth year with the team. And I agree. You want to see people be successful who have worked hard to get there. I've heard people in Kansas City say how much he's still involved in that youth team, what he built there. And he still goes back and, and wants to be involved and be a part of that on top of his duty with the U.S. women's national team. But I also, there's, you know, some things with what Andonovsky has decided to do and and in the sense that this is a big opportunity for him four years after he gets the job. He has to win this. You have four years (laughs) to decide who is going to be on this team. That is a long time. That's someone's collegiate career to evaluate talent, to bring people into camp, to figure out what the formation's going to look like, et cetera, et cetera, with a million other things. Obviously, injuries come into play. You can't foresee people having those. But there are some question marks that everyone will have no matter what Andonovsky decided to do. And the two biggest ones for me is leaving Sam Coffey and Ashley Hatch behind. Besides that, Andonovsky has done a great job of being the mentor to his players, to holding that leadership role so well. He's not over-dominating. He doesn't sit back too much. I think he's the great balance of being involved in these players' lives and what's going on on and off the field, but also making sure he's making the right decisions for the club. But like I said, this is a big test for Andonovsky. And if he doesn't win this tournament, it's not a failed career because he's had success to get to this point. But it is it does definitely make you think, wow, you had all this time. And, and why didn't we come out on top? Especially, yeah, you're right. It's like if we didn't do so good in the last two, but we won two in a row. So right. now, now you're taking over a team that we've won. And it's not like... Oh, this is their last hurrah. Like we have a lot. Of, there's a good mix. There's a good mix in age, youth, and and older players, and and speed, and defensive abilities. Like I, I agree. Like it, it's not a failed career, but a failed term. It'll be sure, a failed yeah. term with with the national team. And and, and you know, like, and it, I, I think the good thing was we those three losses. It opened our eyes. Like, hey, it, it's got to be more than just throwing us throwing out some players out onto the field. Like you got to really think of these teams because Spain still looks really good with all their players missing. They still look dangerous. The Norwegians almost look like they've taken a book, a page out of our book and and they play a very similar. They're big, they're strong, they're technical. They got a a pretty good little group for themselves. Like I I think they're going to, I think New Zealand's in a a rude awakening for, man, I wouldn't want them the first game and being like, you're going to have to really feed off of your crowd. And it doesn't sound like, the New Zealand public has gotten a, has unified around this team like the Australians. Like they're they're, they're not selling out tickets in, in New Zealand. Where Australia, like I think Australia is going to be a date. I've always thought Australia was really good, but they also play off of energy. They they have the most prolific goal scorer of our generation. They have great players. 
uh, and they're going to be playing in front of their home crowd, which they're going to feed off of. And it's going to be it, Australia is going to be tough to beat. France is going to be good, even with their injuries. Like I, I think Spain is going to play the best brand of soccer, and I hope they do. But there's so many good teams. The Brazilians, you know, they're going to be look. They just saw what Argentina did on the men's side, and they played for Messi. If I'm a Brazilian, no matter as long as I'm not Marta, I'm playing for Marta. I'm giving everything I got for this. She's done so much for the sport. She's done so much for our country. Like, just like the, the Argentina, you, when you watch Argentina play, like they were playing for Messi. They weren't just playing for their country. I, I would think Brazil's going to be a dangerous team because you got to think they're playing for Marta. They're going to do everything they can to give her a great send-off. I, I, I think there's going to be some super dangerous teams in this World Cup. FIFA has Brazil ranked in that eighth spot. And I think that they have the opportunity to give some of these countries a run for their money. They have six NWSL players on the team who've scored a collective of 22 goals this season. It's such a fun, creative brand of soccer that you don't see other countries play. And the way that Brazil has marketed themselves leading up to the World Cup, you mentioned Dabinia's commercial the other day, the way that they are wearing the full suits set when they get off the plane in Australia and New Zealand, they're just taking this so seriously. And so is not just the team, but the marketing and everything that they're putting into it. So, hey, don't take Brazil off of your whatever you call it. I'd bet on them. You know, like I definitely think they could come for second or third. I feel like Nike took all their money and instead of putting it into uniforms, put it into their ads, put it into uh, their marketing. What What is up with the uniforms? I mentioned to say, oh, you finish your thought, but we're going back to that. Whereas Adidas took all their money and said, we're going to throw it into the uniforms and we're not going to really market too well or as much as everybody else. Because the, the Adidas uniforms, I'm super psyched to see what Adidas has done for their countries because they haven't just stayed with their traditional colors. They've done what they're they're known for, like – uh, the Germans, it's like a forest. It's their landscape. Uh, Colombia, I think, is the mountains. Argentina is like the Patagonia. Like, there's some really cool Adidas uniforms thrown out there. But then there's players, too, like, that I'm so, like, listen, Alicia Russo was a great player here in Carolina, played in, the, in, in college here. But she's been just on the uptick since the Euros. And now she's going to be, I think, their starting nine. She's got no pressure of coming off the bench. She, she's it. She just signed a whole brand new deal. She left her, her childhood dream club for Man United to go to Arsenal. So she's got a new contract. I think she's going to be somebody special to watch. Then we have young players. Uh, I just think there's so many good storylines in this World Cup. And, and I'm, I, God, I'm, I'm probably as excited, if not more excited, for this World Cup than I was for the Men's World Cup. And if you live around me or live in this house, my house, good God, I, when the World Cups come along, it's like I am a month. I'll be like hard to find, hard to do anything. It'll almost be like I'm lazy, but I'll be just all in tune to this World Cup and, and just to see all the craziness that goes on from coaching, from player stuff on the field to, to everything. Just I'm hoping for some new shoes and some new colors by these. I love it when the World Cup comes. They usually throw out some new cleats for us to look at and and watch players play and I, I, I'm just super excited for the World Cup the jerseys that the U.S. are wearing is the blue jersey just like classic blue and then the white with the splashing 
blue paint. I know it's been out for a while. However, U.S. players are still talking about it. Crystal Dunn said it looks like the white jersey looks like her son took a paintbrush and just like threw it at her. I agreed. When I saw it, I was like, did they get in a paintball fight? Like what is going on? I love the blue. I'm a classic person, right? Like I just love a classic look. I'll always like it. I'm not into the big prints. I'm not into anything that's trying to be in your face and aggressive. Maybe that's kind of like I don't know. That's maybe my personality in some ways. I just like love a classic clean line. Don't love the white and blue. I'm gonna be honest. I think you disagree with me, but I don't like the white uniforms with the blue spatter paint. The blue is just so classic with the little detail. If you're looking closely, what do you think? I like the white one better than the blue one. I love I the blue it. socks. I love the blue okay. socks. But you know, I, I don't like one set of colors. That's why I like the white one. It goes white, blue, white. So I just don't like all one color. But when you were talking, <laughs> I'm going to throw her under the bus. Listen, if Carly Lloyd has a personal uh, stylist, she needs to be fired. If she doesn't have one, get one. What was I watching the other day? Like, come on. Come on. No, like, that's that bad. Like, that was bad. It was the, terrible. The it one was- thing they teach you in TV <laughs> is you wear like, what do you call this? Jewel tone colors, like colors that make you look good. You don't wear anything that's too vibrant. And if you do, if you wear vibrant colors, it has to be the same color and no pattern. She went the Uh, opposite direction. No one told her that. (laughs) And I'm all for people having their own style and everything. But like everyone, so I was like, I said to my wife, maybe the power went out and the war, they had no mirrors where she was. I mean, you put that on, you cannot be like, oh yeah. It's this a, is the one. <laughs> it's a good, like, maybe it's not my style at all, but it could be a good, like, cocktail dress, something that you're not taking photos in or on camera. I would just steer away from those types of prints on camera. And, and that's certainly what I'll say I about that. that to the Met Gala. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of things. Yeah, I'm sorry. But when you were talking about it, like, I was like, that's all I could, that's all that popped in my head. I was like, what is Carly Lloyd? But yeah, there'll be some sweet uniforms and and then like, I like when uniforms match up against other uniforms. I always think that's a cool look on the field. So like other teams wearing theirs, uh, we're wearing ours or whatever. I just, there's just to me, like the dynamic of the World Cup is just, there's nothing like it. There is just absolutely nothing like it. Last thing before we wrap things up, we, you guys know, we love it when people write in, ask questions, give us opinions. If you agree or you disagree, I know a lot of people disagree with us on this show, Scotty, but I love it. I love the difference in opinions and that's what soccer is allowed to be. Everyone has their opinion and no one's necessarily right. No one's necessarily wrong, but our lovely listener, Tracy wrote in and she was asking about a four, two, rather a four, three, two, one Christmas tree formation. She thinks it's wishful thinking. She would love for the U S team to play in that necessarily love, but she mentioned the Christmas tree formation. Um, who would you put in what spots? What do you think about that formation, Scotty, for the world cup? Uh, I like the question too. I coached professionally here in Carolina. I coached the Carolina Railhawks for the first two years. Um, And when we did it, our first goal, the first year was, we really didn't put a goal on what we wanted our record to be. It was to make the world, I mean, make the world, (laughs) make the play. It was to make the playoffs. Yeah. And that was our goal. So we got a bunch of veteran players that we knew who also knew me, who I played with or played against. And then we got a whole bunch of younger players. So we like didn't have any middle ground on this team. And what it was, was, the older players were set in their ways and the younger players, sorry, but had no soccer intelligence. 
They were just super talented players, technically talented, athletically talented. And we tried everything. And, and it, the season was, was – uh, it was going okay. But, man, you, you never knew. Like, we walked out there, and I, and I call us – we were at 50-50. There was 50-50 chance of winning and 50-50 chance of losing. We could have been good. We could have been bad. You never knew what was going to go out there. And as a coach and as a player, you don't want that. So we came up with the Christmas tree formation, a 4-3-2-1. And the reason we did it, and we wouldn't let them press, they had to get back when we lost the ball. It only allows space for their outside flank. So we know where the space is. It's wide and it's high. So it allows you to get set defensively and protect the middle of the field. Personally, I do not think the U.S. needs that. I don't think we need that formation. And when you're in that Christmas tree, it's really hard to press with it because then there's tons of space in behind. And the players that can play those balls are these outside backs that can play diagonal balls down the middle or crossing across the pitch. So it's, it's a dangerous formation to press in. It's basically you're just sitting and holding kind of like what Ireland has done to us, what Wales had did to us. They, they kind of, you can just sit way back. You take up your entire half on your half defensively. You can basically have all the spaces covered, all the passing lanes covered. And then you just look for counterattacks. And I don't think teams, if they do that, if we did that against them would be like, oh, look at us, we're killing them. They know we have Lynn Williams. They know we have Alex Morgan. They know we have Sophia Smith. So they're they're not going to allow that space in behind anyway and fall asleep on it. So I, I don't think that's really a great formation for us to play with what we have, with the personnel that we have. Because that 4-3-2-1 is effective of making the game slow and boring and kills the game. And, and that's personally, that's the only reason we did it. I wasn't doing it thinking, oh, this is going to be so tricky. It's like, we're not very smart. We, we, we had a starting lineup. We had a couple subs. And basically the rest was, please, no injuries because we weren't very deep. And that's why we threw that formation out there. And, and it did what it was supposed to. It was a very effective. It, it killed the game. It kept us in every game. It gave us chances on free kicks. It, and, and that's all it really does. You don't really break teams down. You just don't allow yourself to be broken down. So I, I, w- I wouldn't even think of who to play where and what to do with what, for, you know what I mean? It's, it's like you're basically your three in the midfield are all three sixes. And, and we don't really, we didn't bring coffee. We, we didn't bring Jalen Howe. We didn't bring three sixes. Well, and um, this, this season in the NWSL, there was a team at the bottom of the standings. I want to say it was Chicago because they've been struggling for a while and they went with a four, three, two, one, because they didn't have any options going forward. They had no good forwards. They had a pretty solid defense with Casey Kruger and Tiana Davidson on the back line. So it allowed, like you said, Scotty, for them to be set defensively. But once they won the ball, they had no outlet. And you look at the U.S. Women's National Team roster and, and Tracy mentioned, who would you put where? You have more than just one talented nine. And if you had, you know, a one and a two behind them, it would be an Alex Morgan and a Sophia Smith and a Trinity Rodman behind them. You don't want to limit what Rodman and Smith can do in the attack by making them play underneath a Alex Morgan. And like you mentioned, having three in front of the four back would just be way too much defense. And against Vietnam, Portugal, the U.S. don't need defense. They need the attack. They need the players going forward. And you mentioned it, Scotty. You explained it perfectly. But like they don't need to press. They just have 
have the ball. They're in possession the majority of the game and having four and then three, basically seven players on your back line doesn't allow you to connect and get into the attack as quickly as it would if you if you played in the 4-3-3. Yeah, yeah, and, and the four three two one doesn't even really let you counter. Right. Your, your your one up top is an old school nine that you're playing balls up to, and you're looking for that player to hold the ball up and then get fouled. Yeah. And then we get free kick goals, like because it's your it's really hard to like really do anything out of it. You can play wide, then wide goes to the nine, then the nine gets fouled, and then we slowly creep up the field. Like we had two huge center backs. We had a huge number nine, and we would get free kick goals. That's where we were dangerous, corner kicks if we could. We had our, our two outside and the three was these like – we had a Uruguayan and an Argentine that were very crafty individually. So, like, they had free reign when the space was right, when the opportunity was right, to run 30, 40 yards with the ball. And if anything broke down, play it into the corner or play the nine and look for or get fouled yourself. It wasn't like keep going, keep going, because once they lost it, now all hell broke loose because we weren't back. We couldn't get back into our four, three, two, one. And like, you know, when when I was coaching here and like I've always said, one of the hardest things for me to do when I go to a game is listen to the fans sitting behind me. But I could just remember like the fans were like, oh, my God, this is so because the fans fall in love with the team. And they think everybody's better than they really are. And, like, they're not at practices. They're not at, you know, knowing that, good God, if we have one injury and we got to bring so-and-so off the practice squad onto, like, he never getting in the game. He's just there to make 18 on the bench, basically. So, like, sometimes the fans don't know the dynamics of what is going on day-to-day in a, in a, in a squad or that the players don't trust so-and-so or doesn't, don't like playing defense with so-and-so or this player's a selfish player and is just trying to do what's best for him. So, like, there's dynamics of why we play formations, not just based on talent, based on personalities, based on relationships. Um, I think that's part of the reason. And I'm not saying Sanchez shouldn't make it, but Sanchez and Rodman's relationship is so strong. Yep. You're you're in a dilemma not taking one of them. Like, what, what happens if you don't take one of them? And then, like, I was a big believer that – Rapino shouldn't have been on this World Cup team. But now as all the interviews are going and all the storylines are going, you're like, man, there's girls crying about how emotional they feel about Rapino. Like, if you don't bring her, you lose that. You lose that emotion. You lose that focus. So, like, here, I'm one of those people who I don't know the dynamic of the locker room. I don't know the dynamic of the relationships. So, as it goes, you get a little bit more, and then you hope, hope for the best and hope it works out. And then if it doesn't, We'll have more to talk about. Exactly. And Rapino, you mentioned that everyone's called her the grandma of the team. Like if you lose the matriarchy of your family, things do change and relationships do change. And even though we may or may not see Rapino throughout the group stage or quite frankly in this tournament, we will know that she will provide that for this team. And to go back to the formation, I love, I do like the 4-3-3. I think if this wasn't country and this was club, a 3-4-3 would suit this team so well. But yeah, it's difficult to play with three in the back if you don't have much time together to practice those partnerships and those types of relationships. But Tracy, thanks so much for writing in and for staying engaged with the show. Everyone listening, please feel free to comment, you know, ask questions, 
questions, give an opinion. We love to hear what people are thinking about teams, clubs, individuals. It's all exciting stuff. And especially as the World Cup gets closer and kicks off tomorrow, there's going to be way more information and stories that we're going to want to talk about on and off the field. One more thing, I and I, I'm old school and I always talk about, but I thought this was really cool. I've been watching all the stuff go on and I love how many players are getting off of social media. But they've announced it on their social media account. I'm at the World Cup. I'm here for one thing. Whereas, like, I'm always watching the NBA, the NFL, MLS. Like, I, when the game started, you weren't my friend. I play, If I played against my brother, after the game, you could be my brother again. <laughs> From this point to this point, we are not friends. We are enemies. Like, I'm always shocked at all the hugging and all this and all the – all. I, I just get – like, it's a game. Like, it's a, it's a war. It's a battle. It's It's – so, and now you're with your country. So it's like country versus country. It's the coolest thing. Like, I'm really excited that all the girls got on. And we're like, I'm done with social media, family, friends. I love you, but I'll talk to you in a month, hopefully in a full month. Like, I just thought it was they're, they're so invested into this tournament, into their teams, into their into their groups, into that everything else is not important right now. Like they did their commercials. Great. That that's been months, months ago. They did that stuff. So I, I'm super excited that how serious and how into and how invested they are into, because I feel like if it was the NBA guys, good God almighty, they'd be all over social media after every game. Um, I just watched the Wimbledon fi the final on the women's and me and my wife were watching it. And I was so mad at her getting on her phone during the girls walk around like, get off your phone. You, you, you got to wait 30 minutes, just wait 30 minutes before you have to get on your stupid phone and texting. Like who's, Who's texting you right now? The only thing acceptable would have been her mom and dad saying, don't be a jerk. Have some class. Don't be an idiot. I know you're upset, but don't be an idiot. And she was great. But then the next day, Djokovic, my God, loses his first time since 2017. And he's pure class. Like, And I'm not saying I could have done that. I, I would have been terrible as a loser. I'm a terrible loser. But I just feel like I thought it was really cool because I'd be the same way. Do not contact me. Starting this date to like once I got into that country, once I left America, I, I mean, I might not even brought my phone. I would only brought it. So I had like you could text me. The coach could text me and say, hey, we're having a team meeting, blah, blah, blah. But other than that, I'm not going to be on my phone. I don't like my phone anyway, but I definitely don't want it during this World Cup. And I just thought that was really cool how many players said I'm off of social media. I'll see you in a little bit. It's nothing. I'm not nothing's wrong. I'm not mad at anybody. I just purely total focus on trying to win this world cup. I, I thought it was awesome. No, I, I think that's cool too. I've seen some players have like social media teams post consistent content, but you can tell it's not actually them engaging with their audience. It's just their social media time team. You mentioned Jokovic and he lost to a kid who said, you know, I respect you so much. I grew up watching you. If you had lost to him, how would you receive that speech back? And I know it wasn't intentional and the person who beat him wasn't trying to be mean or anything, but being like, wow, I lost to somebody who used to look up to me and used to be like somebody that appreciated my game. Would you be like, oh, that's great. Or would you be like, dang, I just lost to somebody who freaking grew up watching me play. I would basically say, thanks for letting everybody know how old I am. Yeah. And now I'm going to so much harder to beat you the next tournament. Like it, it would have fired me up. I, I, I you know, I, I say it like I would have been calm about it. I probably would not have. <laughs> like yeah. I said, I'm a terrible loser. I'm like to be great at anything, you got to be super competitive. And I am 
uber competitive. So like, I don't think I would have handled it as good as Djokovic, but like, I understand what he was trying to say and, you know, broken English and stuff like that. And things don't always translate how you want to, but yeah, he pretty much ripped him there for like 30 seconds <laughs> saying, I've watched you since I was born, basically saying how big of an age discrepancy there was, but, but all testament to Djokovic that he's still doing it, you know, 16 years, the kid's senior and this guy's 20 years old and Djokovic still like, I thought Djokovic was going to win. I totally did. And then when the, when it all kind of went down, like the perseverance of Alcaraz and, and everything and how good he did and how his fast he is. And, you know, now, now he's maybe the new generation, but I wouldn't sleep on the Joker. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I thought that was hysterical, but you know, you got to take it with what it's worth. And you also have to know your audience. Anywho, well guys, this is, thanks so much for tuning in to straight from the pitch this week. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You can watch us on YouTube at SFTP pod. Make sure to leave a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And we will not be back next Wednesday. We're going to come back next Thursday because the U.S. Women's National Team plays the Netherlands next Wednesday. And we want to come back post that game, not before that game, because that is going to be a massive one to break down. So everyone enjoy your week. Enjoy the first few games of the World Cup. And we'll see you back here next Thursday. Yeah, have a great week. Two days to go.